0: One fun fact about me is that I own a tuxedo. (laughs) Didn't imagine that, did you? It currently resides pretty unused, I will admit, and a little dusty in the back of a closet. But there was a time when i felt like owning a tux made economic sense back when i lived in pittsburgh where i served as a as a newly minted priest straight out of seminary i decided i decided to buy the tux as opposed to keep renting them because i kept being invited to attend black tie banquets and these at these black tie events i was often asked to offer an invocation before the meal or before the scheduled program. And I will admit that it all felt a little heady to me and also very surreal, Um, but I would attend these events and I would offer up a blessing on the food and on the, the work of the organization and on the folks gathered, and then I would go on to enjoy my evening, right? And I used to, you know, at the end, I liked to get, to re- get recognized and appreciated for, for my words, you know, when folks came up and said, you know, oh, thank you for your words, Reverend Nate, and all that. It was all very gratifying, okay? <laughs> so this goes a long way of, towards me saying that I can't help but feel some sympathy for the scribes from this morning's <laughs> gospel lesson. Because I, I know what it's like to walk around in, in long robes. I know what it's like to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. I know what it's like to have the best seats in the synagogue or at least at church. And I know what it's like to have places of honor at banquets. And I, I know what it's like to enjoy these things. One feels a sense of place. One has a... Has a Uh, feels a sense of role and purpose. And let's be honest, one feels a sense of importance. And I wanna admit that that's not all bad. We all like to have a place. We all like to have a role. We all want to feel like we are important and that what we do and, and who we are matters. We all like to be appreciated these things aren't bad. But beware, right? Beware, says Jesus this morning to us, drawing attention to how seductive the pursuit of these things can be. For the scribes of this lesson, it actually means, for them, it, this danger of having this uh, praise being heaped upon them, men actually losing sight of their role. They would use their power to exploit the vulnerable widow, and they would say long prayers, no longer to praise God, no, no longer to build and bind a community in petition to their creator and redeemer, but for the sake of being recognized for their piety by others. These scribes have lost sight of themselves, of their true purpose, and have done so at the expense of their fellow human beings. And this losing sight of ourselves, losing a sense of who we are and what we are to do in the name of, you know, self aggrandizement. is a universal temptation. Jesus is not so much focusing on the scribes because they are especially bad or wicked. Rather, Jesus is focusing on them because they represent a specific temptation and problem that we all can face. Our desire for recognition and relevance and importance, our desire to be someone, can come at the expense of of our fellow human beings. Too often we look to establish ourselves and be somebody in opposition to another. Too often we look to place ourselves above others as a way of making sense of who we are, as a way of making sense how important we are. And let's admit this is particularly dangerous for those of us who have any sort of power. But Jesus isn't just denouncing folks this morning. Jesus is not just condemning the scribes for their behavior. Rather, he's offering an alternative. He's offering the alternative of the widow, which actually might surprise us. Because you see, in the ancient world, and in today's world too, widows were, and sometimes still are, vulnerable. Because of sexism, because of patriarchy, women who lost their husbands were often left without a means of caring for themselves or providing for their families. And because this was so, widows sometimes were, and let's face it, sometimes still are, Exposed both economically and socially to be taken advantage of and exploited. And if we're to take the Bible seriously and its witness to us seriously, then then there is a special place in God's heart for widows. It's not just that God promises to bind up the broken hearts of those who grieve, though God does promise that. It's more than that. God cares for widows because they are often vulnerable, and the witness of Scripture tells us that God especially cares for widows because God cares for all of humanity and wants us all to thrive. Where there is injustice, that thriving can't happen, and God is a God of justice. And so again and again through the prophets, God commands God's people to care for widows. But this vulnerability that the widows have does not mean that they are somehow less than or have no agency. Despite this vulnerability, or maybe because of this vulnerability, the widows In today's readings actually have a fair amount of agency. We might think of the widow of Zarephath, who takes this leap and gives her last meal, seemingly, to Elijah, only to discover that there is more. Or we might look to the widow that Jesus holds up, this particular widow, who Jesus points out to the disciples, because she has something important to show them. Like many seemingly insignificant figures in Mark's gospel, this widow has a deep understanding of discipleship. Jesus lifts her up because she holds nothing back even though Jesus is critical of the way worship at the temple has become exploitative. Nonetheless, Jesus does not hesitate to lift up this widow when she shows her devotion to God in her giving. For with her two meager coins, she throws herself into the arms of God. She trusts in God's care and providence. She gives of herself, not to be recognized by the others or praised for her devotion, but as an expression of faith in the God she knows, loves her, and cares for her. Her act is an act of trust. Her giving is an expression of her faith— And because this is so, her life becomes a revelation. She reveals to us through this seemingly small and insignificant act the self-giving nature of God. She shows us God as God reveals God's self to us, and us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Her life becomes a revelation and an epiphany into the nature of the divine life, the self-giving life that is God. And as such, God shines through her life. She reveals to us how we are called to participate in God's self-giving love. God shows us how our lives can shine with God's brilliance as we step out and give of ourselves just as this widow gives of herself. On one level, then, our following of Jesus, our discipleship, couldn't be simpler. We are simply to give everything we have. What is asked of us, what is needed is this complete surrender and trust in the purpose and care and love and will of God. So this morning, we're given this, these two dichotomies, the scribes who look to establish themselves by lifting themselves up and holding themselves above others, and the widow who looks to heal the world through her gift giving of herself. And let's face it, as this last week has shown us again and again, the world needs healing. From the shooting in Thousand Oaks, to the, to the lives lost and the property lost, the homes lost, the lives destroyed, with those suffering from the effects of the fires. The world needs healing. We need to to trust in God's providential care. And then we need to participate in God's healing love by helping those around us who are in need. We can try to build ourselves up at the expense of others, or we can serve our neighbor by giving of ourselves. We can love as we have been loved. And when we do so, then we'll be living into our call. We'll be living into our purpose. We'll be living into our life's meaning. This is what we were created for. We were created by love for love. And through small acts, like the giving of a few small coins, or by large. It is by giving of ourselves that God's healing power can be at work in the lives of others. We stand here, well, you all sit here, but we're in this place together. Longing and looking and hoping for a better world. Longing and hoping for a change and a transformation. We long for this transformation and the question is, where do we begin? Dorothy Day, one of the The great followers of Jesus in the 20th century, I think, has an answer to this question. She once wrote, the greatest challenge of the day is how to bring about a revolution of the heart. A revolution that starts with each one of us. This revolution begins as we learn to give of ourselves in faith. This revolution begins as we we come to participate in God's self-giving love. We can be agents of healing and transformation, agents of hope, as we come to give of ourselves. The widow invites us to recognize. And Jesus points to the widow for us to recognize that we will only come to be true followers of Jesus when we learn how to live in to who we were created to be, which is to be givers and sharers of love. And we can only do this as we come to trust in God and indeed learn how to give. Amen.